Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Okay, thanks. My name is Butch. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I want to thank you for having my wife and I here. This? Okay. A little joke there. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, it's a real privilege to be here, and uh, I'm honored you guys asked me to come and share, share my life with you as you shared yours with me, and uh, I'm real grateful for that. Uh, well, you heard my wife. What can I say? You know, I'm busted. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's a good deal. I'm, I'm glad you guys asked me. You know, the alcoholic head, as soon as someone asks you something that you haven't planned, it's like, no. You know, and I, I've, learned, I've learned in this program that that part of you that says no is your alcoholism trying to get you to go out to drink again in whatever capacity. You know, so I was trying to remember that when things, opportunities come along for any kind of action and alcoholics and honest, my head gives me the old no. It's my alcoholism trying to treat me again. You know, and it's, uh, you guys taught me that and it's, it's, it saved my life. And I want to thank you for that. Uh, let me see. You know, I get up and just, you know, you do it at meetings all the time, so you say, I'm butch and alcoholic. And you just kind of roll, rolls off your tongue and, you know, and you just go on with what's going on. But I always like to try when I can and remember what it takes to be able to say that out loud. You know, what, what a cost it is to so many people to be able to just say, admit to yourself that you're an alcoholic. Because so many people die without being able to do that behind the same disease that I have. You know, and, and, and I, I am real grateful. Uh, that I've gotten the chance to continue with my recovery and to make that statement on, on a daily basis since I first got here. And understanding more about it as it went along, because at first I didn't quite understand what the disease was that was killing me. You know, I just knew something was wrong and it needed fixing in a big way. And uh, I met you guys and you started sharing your lives with me and what you were doing to not repeat uh, the behavior that I've been doing all my life. And, uh, it just amazed me, and, uh, and I'm really going to thank you for that. And it's the we all having run through, we all have running through each other that uh, saves our lives. You know, no matter what this thing tries to tell you, like, oh, no, don't do that. You know, that might be too good for you. <laughs> just uh, try and quiet that down. Uh, well, I might as well start at the beginning, and this is going to really be slow if I don't, or really quick if I don't. Uh, I'm one of nine children. I have uh, six sisters and two brothers, and uh, we were raised in uh, Catholic religion. You have to excuse me a second. I need some water. And uh, and I'm the, like the black sheep guy of the family, <laughs> as it turns out. Uh, and being raised in the Catholic religion was, you know, I mean it. However it was with you, if you're a Catholic, that's fine. But for me, it uh, it had some really good points and some really bad points. I remember as a young child being in uh, in the, in school, and they would talk about God, and they would say what I had to do to you know to earn like God's love, and like God would love you if you do this and you do that. And when I did that, I had a, got a really good feeling about life, about things in general. You know, when I felt I was doing the right stuff, it was it just felt good to me, and. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's so many rules, and being an aspiring, uh, blooming alcoholic, the rules were got a little hard to follow all the time. So I always had this, you know, looking back, I had this conflict going on, you know. Uh, 
And the longer I was, you know, the older I got, the harder it was to, like, follow through with what was going on. And I took it all quite uh, quite literally. So, like, you know, during the day, I'd go to hell three times and heaven three times. It was like this back and forth, big emotional thing. And it got just, just got to be where I just had to ignore the whole thing. You know, that's, that's just what it did to me. It doesn't do it to everybody, but that's the way I reacted. You know, and... Uh, but the nice part about it is I... I uh, and I've learned to turn that uh, negative stuff around. And I have a higher power that works in my life today. And we're, me and God are buds. And that's a good thing. Um, you know, uh, I'd like to say first, when I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, and you started talking about, you know, how we lived our lives and that stuff, I, it dawned on me that I had never really taken the time to take a look at how I was living or what was going on with me long enough to to get any kind of information about myself. I was always too busy getting through the next emotional mess or the mess I'd made. However, you know, getting past that, trying to bury the guilt, trying to bury the remorse, and then on to the next thing. So I never took time to, was able to take a look at anything that went on in my life. It's not until I got to AA and got away from the alcohol that I got to take a look at what had been going on all my life and try and make some sense out of this confusion that I had going on. And, uh, and I want to thank you guys for that, you know, because it was a it was a lost situation. Uh, when I first got here in AA, they talked about we're you know we're like abnormally fearful in a lot of areas, and and, and that hit home with me too, because I remember as an early child I had some things that happened that stayed with me all through my life that that just made no sense. You know, uh, when I first went to kindergarten the first day, uh, my mom brought me off, and I was doing the deal at kindergarten, and they said, well, we take a nap in the afternoon, and so it's nap time. And so I got up and took off all my clothes but my underwear. And uh, I was the only one in class that did it, of course, you know. <laughs> they thought it was funny, too. But, <laughs> but I didn't, you know. I was just like, ah, this freaked me out. And what I did was I never went back to kindergarten. You know, that was my last day in kindergarten. You know, I don't know, but that's just what happened with me. Uh, I would not go back. And that's, you know, I'm like five years old and I'm already doing behaviors like that, you know. And then the first day I went to a, to grade school, we lived right across the street from the school and my sisters had been going there for years. I've been watching them walk across the street, you know, with a little uniform on and doing their deal and seemed to be fine. And I was all ready to do it too myself, you know. I was over there the first day waiting to go to class and the bell rang. As soon as the bell rang off, rang, I, I, my stomach did like a three quarter turn and I just ran. Took off like a dart, ran across the street back in the house. You know, and I didn't see anyone else running, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And I kind of, well, what's going on here? But as a kid, I just didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know what that was all about. Uh, I know if I had had maybe a shot or two of whiskey, the bill would have been just fine. You know, that's true. You know, I really know that. But at the time, I didn't know. And I just thought, well, that's just, you know, odd. And I, I did go back to school. My mom wasn't going to let me skip at that time. <laughs> Because kids were moving along, you know, kids were coming along pretty good there. And it was my turn to get out of the house. And so I went to school and, you know, got introduced to the nuns of love, as I like to call them. And uh, they're well-intentioned people. You know, they, they gave it their best. But like I was saying earlier, I really got that conflict going on about, you know, uh, God loving me and uh, the way they kind of like expressed it from time to time. It was a little confusing to me. Uh, but I did, like I say, I got a God that I that I, I learned to reevaluate when I got to AA from that experience. Went on through grade school, and uh, we moved from, we used to live on 60th and Crenshaw in Los Angeles, uh, and uh, moved down towards the beach. Started going to school there, and, uh, you know, time went on. And I kind of like wasn't much of a student. I liked looking out the windows, watching the birds and stuff. You know, I wasn't really much of a, <laughs> I need a lot of, a lot of instruction, you know. I need, like, if I'd have had the group of, like, Alcoholics Anonymous around me in school to help me go through stuff, I might have done a lot better as a student, <laughs> but that wasn't going on. So uh, so I just kind of, like, you know, they just kind of, like, pass you from grade to grade. And got into high school, and in my early teens, we started surfing, going on the beach surfing all the time, and that was a lot of fun. Love that sport. And around 15, we started, uh, guys I was running around with, we started drinking some beer there. You know, they had the older brothers, and they, we, li- we were in Manhattan Beach doing our deal, and uh, they lived over in Hermosa Beach. 
the older brothers, and, and they they would get us on the drink. So we'd go down, walk down to uh, Hermosa Beach, and get a get some beer, and that's when we started our drinking. And we used to try and we'd get our quart of country club malt liquor to drink, and then if we try and wa- we'd walk back along the strand drinking our beer, and if we got home without throwing up or getting arrested, it was like a successful night drinking, you know. <laughs> and it was cool. Uh, and the first time I had a drink, it wasn't any big thing to me. It wasn't. Uh, you know, the skies didn't part or any of that stuff, but uh, I really liked the thought that I felt, I guess I was kind of like getting away with something and not getting caught. I really liked that feeling, you know, of, of being able to do that on my own. I had nothing to do with any anything else that was around, and uh, I remember that part of it. And then when I was 17, uh, this was in the 60s, 17, I just started, just before I graduated high school, I graduated in 64. And drugs started coming from San Francisco through the South Bay, and I, I never questioned, I never questioned taking a drink, whether I should or shouldn't, and I never questioned anything about the drugs. It just was there, we just did it. You know, and not everyone does that, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I might have had a problem back, you know, way back then, obviously. But I never gave it a thought. And as time went on, it started to work for me, you know, the alcohol, and, and I really enjoyed that. It, you know, like it does, it does for me. I figured, well, if you could be drunk, why would you want to do anything else? You know, so work got to be a big bother. Uh, <laughs> sad to say, but I mean, that's the way it was. It was just what happened. And uh, what I would do is, I started a deal where I, my dad was a was a general building contractor, and I grew up in the trades, and so I used to work you know through the winter most of the time. And uh, then when summer would start to come, I'd get off get off work and uh, go on unemployment and collect unemployment and surf during the summer and just mess around. I used to like to do that. But, you know, as, as I got older in life, I kept doing that cycle. And it doesn't work very good when you have a wife and kids. And, you know, and they, they actually talk about it in the big book, how you work work to get things built up and then you just tear it down after a sense of sprees. And I was doing that cycle over and over and over again and uh, didn't even really know it. You know, I was thinking I was doing the right thing, and anything that got in the way of that was the wrong thing. And uh, I come to learn that uh, there's the alcoholism right in the face. Anyway, uh, went on with that, and you know, drinking more, and I started, you know, enjoying the drinking a lot. And like I was saying, it got in the way of the work, work a lot. And uh, let me see what I do after that. It's been uh, it's been a while. It's interesting. I always get, I've never followed my wife speaking before. And when I hear her talk, I relive that whole episode and all my life with her and all my drinking. And it's, it's, it really affects me emotionally because it's, it's a real deal, you know. And, and I'm so moved by how f- different my life is today. When I hear her talk, it just reminds me so much about how wonderful this life experience is we're going through right now. And it kind of like throws me a little bit, you know. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's just, uh, it's just different. You know, it's, it, uh, I'm grateful for all this. Anyway, uh, you know, drinking kept going on and attitude was not improving. Uh, I traded a, I can't remember what it was exactly, I think it was some, I think it was a, some money in a panel truck for a car and a motorcycle and started riding this motorcycle around this little rigid frame Triumph, a 50, I think it was 50, yeah, had a sprung hub. Anyway, started riding around the beach with some guys and me and another guy were riding you know, headed towards Torrance, and uh, these two girls were hitchhiking. And, of course, we had to politely pull over to give them a ride. I mean, you know. And uh, that's where I met my first wife, and I immediately fell in love because I'm not shallow, you know. I, she, she had all the requirements of a good relationship, you know. Just, but that's the way it was, you know. Uh, and we started going out, and somehow she got pregnant. I don't know. You know how those women are. And uh, and so her dad thought it would be a good idea, you know, if we got married. Or he said, you can either go, you know, Vietnam was going on. I said, I'll either make sure you get to go to Vietnam and be in the Army or you have to marry my, marry my daughter. And I was, you know, so infatuated with the love thing that I figured, well, I can either go in the Army or I can stay back and have sex with this girl. Well, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, that, that's <laughs> the basis of my first marriage. You know, a real deep thinker, you know, I'll tell you. And uh, and then when that all, you know, we were together for a while. We had a daughter from that marriage, and uh, she's doing really well now. She lives in Seattle, and uh, she has two two grand have two grandchildren by her, and she has a master's in severe special needs and works with kids up in Seattle. She's done really really well. 
And uh, I don't see, I haven't seen her mom in a long time, but we would we'd always say she uses the brains that neither her nor I ever bothered to even touch. You know, and so, so God bless her, you know, and it, it's good. You know, that's all all right now. Anyway, uh, when I got sober, I looked back, you know, at that whole thing, and uh, I was so surprised that the marriage didn't last, you know. God, looking at it now, it's kind of funny, but at the time it was just so dead serious, you know, all the agony and the pain, you know. My marriage is broken up, I'm not with my wife anymore, and the baby's with her, and blah, 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 you know. It doesn't matter that, honestly, I couldn't have taken care of a kid by myself. You know, that has nothing to do with it. You just got to use it as a reason to drink, and that's what I did. I would always use, you know, sit around and listen to Moonlight Sonata in the dark and let's drink whiskey and wonder why things are so screwed up feeling, you know. It's just, it's just, a, just pitiful. Jesus. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was the right thing to do. And uh, went on with that for a while, and uh, things were not getting any better for me. And, you know, there was a period there when I used to go try to get over and, and, like, get connected with my daughter, but her mom and I were not getting along at all, and we ended up fighting all the time, so I just stopped doing that because it got to be too crazy. Uh, anyway... Uh, went and did some other things, you know, back back the parents' house, living there. And my sister had moved up to Alaska. And she, she said, you know, it was Ketchikan, Alaska. And she said, you can come up here and, and do some work. You know, you can go to logging camp. And they put you on an island so you can't spend your money. And so you could probably save up some money and get something going on. So I thought that was a good idea. And, and what prompted that was, you know, every so often I'd go along and I would just not be happy with the drinking that was going on. I just would feel that it had to be something changed. I didn't quite know what should be changed. And drinking was never the problem for me. You know, it never dawned, dawned on me that I had a problem with alcohol or that I was an alcoholic until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous and you guys told me about uh, yourselves that I understood that I had the problem. Till then it was always, I always figured I was a little crazy and the drinking kind of let that out. You know, but the drinking was not the problem. You know, but anyway... One of these times I felt I should change something, and, you know, I've, I've come to, to learn that it's called the geographic. So I thought I, went, I would go at my sister's house, so I went up there to Ketchikan, Alaska, to go to a logging camp. And uh turns out her uh, father-in-law was a bartender. <laughs> yeah, perfect landing, huh? As a bartender, and so it was every other drink was for free, and the bars open until 5 in the morning and reopen at 6. You know, so, so I drank a lot up there. And uh, they had some stuff called Everclear, which is 190-proof drinking alcohol, and I got introduced to that there. used to drink that with Nesbitt's orange juice sometimes. It made you a little hoarse, but, but it worked, you know. <laughs> and I never gave a second thought about drinking that either, you know. It could have burned a hole in you big, big time, but just did that. And I started work worked the pulp mill for a while, and then that whole thing got, got kind of funky, and so I moved back down to my lucky parents' house. Here he comes again. And... Uh, and I was there for a little while, working some, and just kind of bounce around and see what to do. And, uh, you know, my drinking's getting worse. And a friend of mine who lived in Point Loma, which is down by San Diego, and uh, he said, well, come on down here. We're hanging drywall at this uh, resort they're making uh, up, up towards, uh, I forget the name, La Costa. They were building that place at the time, and it was a big to-do. And so we were going, you know, I was living down in Point Loma with him, and we were hanging the drywall at this uh this resort they're making. And what he used to do uh, on weekends was go down to Tijuana, and he had a girlfriend down there in one of those beautiful bars, you know, <laughs> lovely places, lovely women. Uh, <laughs> a real good idea. So I started going down to Tijuana with him, you know, on Friday nights. We'd go down there and spend the weekend and come back up. And then we got to thinking, you know, why don't we just uh, move down to Tijuana? <laughs> you know, another another career move for me. And... Uh, <laughs> So we went right to this place by the bullring by the sea in Tijuana and was hanging out there. And I'm incoherent around people speaking English, you know, and I'm going down to Mexico where they don't speak much English at all. Wondering why I'm feeling even weirder. Uh, I was there for a little while, not too long, and some stuff started. I came back up here and some, what was going on, some friends of mine were... What I know now, dying from the disease of alcoholism. But at the time, it was just God being lame again and killing these friends of mine because that's the way life was. You know, it was a whole, it was a whole stacked deal. You know, a good friend of mine that I would spend some time, he used to surf with as a kid, and he, he, he split up with his wife and was living next door. And uh, 
he went to commit suicide suicide one night and he uh, turned all the ovens and all that stuff on and uh, fell asleep. And then he woke up in the morning and forgot he'd done that and uh, lit a cigarette. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. Blew the, blew the apartment building and he lived through it for a while. You know, he walked outside and he was like a briquette. And that was pretty bad. And, again, it was, you know, God being lame and being mean. You know, it didn't have anything to do with him being drunk all the time. But, you know, I didn't see that then. And he passed on. And so I just, you know, got a little deeper into the uh, resentment there. And then my uh, ex-wife's sister died soon after that. And it was the same thing, you know, same reason behind her death. But, again, it was here we go, you know, just more of this crap again. And my attitude was getting pretty low. And I started running with some guys who'd come back from Vietnam just kind of hanging out with them, and my bike would run sometimes, and sometimes I wouldn't. But I was hanging out with these biker guys, and we, and I enjoyed that because uh, there was no question on why are we here today? You know, we're going to go to the office this afternoon. None of that stuff came up. It was just let's just get it on and see how high we can get today, and leave it at that. And I, you know, so I started doing that, and right after that, I started uh, made a little run of being a heroin addict, you know, and. Uh, but luckily, the people I was running around with were just as spaced as I was, and they couldn't get it on a regular basis. So I, <laughs> so I just did that for a while, and then, you know, just got a went away from it. I got hepatitis from it and got real sick. Back at Mom's house, Mom and Dad's house, turned yellow, doing all that stuff. And, uh, you know, every so often things would be okay. And it was one of these okay periods when I was recovering from, from that sickness that uh, my brother said, oh, my girlfriend has a friend who would, uh, wants to go out on a date. And I said, oh, that sounds good. You know, let's do that. And that's where I met Larsine, who we were on a blind date with her. And uh, she's special right off the bat. As soon as I saw her walk off the front porch of her house there, you know, I just knew she was special. She wasn't special enough to make me stop drinking or anything like that, but there's just something special about her right from the get-go. And uh, and it's been great. And uh, thanks. We've been, we just celebrated 37 years of marriage. This last the 11th of this month. And... Uh, you know, you guys get the applause for that because without A.A. and Alan on, this thing would not be going on any longer because uh, we did our best to thrash it behind this disease, you know, even though we tried at times, but it always uh, got the better of us. Anyway, uh, so we started going out, and, uh, and those women, you know, she got pregnant again. You know, they do that <laughs> and, uh, somehow. <laughs> and uh, so we, we, we got married, but I... You know, I had this bohemian lifestyle that I had to 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 hold up to. So I wasn't going to get married just because she was pregnant, man. You know, I mean, hey, man, what's the deal? Uh, so after our son was a month old, then we went and got married. And uh, that's when I like to say our, our little war kind of started. She says, what do you mean little war? But uh, that was my version of it was just a little war started. Because uh, she had some really weird idea, like I should go to work on a regular basis and not drink so much. <laughs> She's really off the wall with this stuff. But whatever, honey, whatever. And uh, we just kind of started our little war there, you know. I was doing my best to get a load as much as I could, and she was doing her best to try and do something really horrible, like have a nice family life, you know. But I couldn't see it. Uh, and it just kind of started going on from there. And my alcohol, looking back now, I can see it where the alcohol was not working like it used to because I was getting really bothered by the stuff I would do all the time. You know, before you could just, you know, do stuff and, oh, it doesn't matter. But I would get real disturbed uh, because I knew I loved my wife and my and my son and then our second son, and I would always do these things to, like, destroy what I had going on. You know, uh, why would I do that to people that I love? I love being with them, love being around them. Every so often, I, you know, I know now it's the obsession to drink, but I didn't know it then. I would just have to wander off and just be a shithead, so to speak. And uh, and it was getting really confusing to me, you know. And again, I didn't bl- ever blame the drinking. And with alcohol was not the problem. Like I say, I just think the longer I was alive, the crazier I was feeling, and uh, the alcohol just let this insanity out. And that's where I put it, you know. That's as far as as I could come to really looking at it in the eye. And uh, you know, it didn't get any better. Uh, I had a lot of opportunities in my life, but I wasn't able to follow through on any of them. You know, because of what was going on with me, you know, it was more important to drink than anything else at times. And a lot of times I really didn't want to wake up any, you know, at all, even though I had some good stuff going on around me, but that's just part of the disease. I never tried suicide, but I just kind of like gave up a lot of times on 
because it just seemed like a never-ending thing. Anyway, uh, went along for a while, and uh, she went to a doctor. Or she talked to a doctor or something, and it was one of my periods where I thought, well, maybe I should try and, you know, do something a little different. And she said she talked to this doctor, and they had some stuff called anabuse that you could take that would help you. You know, even though I wouldn't say it was a drinking, but this would help you, keep you from drinking. So I started to uh, take that. I took that for two years and didn't drink for two years. And uh, don't do that. Uh, do not stop drinking if you don't have a program. Uh, it was the longest two years of my life, I'll tell you. Boy. Because I wasn't doing the, black, the blackouts, you know, and that was a freaky thing, too, because I didn't know what a blackout was. You know, I just would miss a few days here and there. And who do you talk to about that? You know, I couldn't talk to my dad or my brothers or my mother or anyone I was running around with about missing a few days here and there. So it was another thing just to, like, pile in there, you know, to, to, to hide. And, and I did that. And uh, so I did that two years on the anabuse. And uh, what it did was I, I, had, I stopped drinking. You know, when I first started, I stopped my drinking. And then this doctor had put me on Valium when I was, like, 18. And I had an open prescription for those things. And I was about 30 years old when I went on the antibus and I stopped taking the Valium and the alcohol and went into like this really freaky uh, week and a half or so of, uh, you know, part of it was DTs, uh, very strange, uh, you know, shadows during the day were doing funny stuff. And uh, I heard a dog bark and I didn't know what it was, what the, where to put the sound. I remember watching the Brady Bunch on TV, and they scared me to death. I mean, it's, it was real to me. You know, it's funny now, but at the time, it was just freaking horrifying. Because I just sat there in the chair, and I was, you know, who am I talking to about this stuff? Nobody. And I was doing, my body's doing all these twitches and jerks, and uh, she's sitting around looking like, well, he's just done something again, you know. And uh, But after a while, I just, it just got too crazy because it wasn't going away. And I ran to the doctor and said, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so he gave me some, of course, you know, some pills to take to calm that down. And the two years that I was on on the antibuse, I felt at any time I was going to fall back into what I know now was that mental state of the DTs because uh, I thought it was just something up here entirely. And so that two years I was like tightrope walking. Most of sometimes okay, but sometimes feeling like I would go back in that and I didn't understand what it was, to me, where, where I put it with my thinking was that stuff I experienced, you know, which were the DTs, I figured that's how you feel when you aren't loaded on something. You know, that's what I had in my head, that if I wasn't, I had, didn't, wasn't on something, that's the way life felt all the time. You know, that's how screwed up my thinking was, the keen alcoholic mind, you know, strikes again, I tell you. It was, a, it was really, really hellish. Anyway, so I went through that and... Uh, after a couple of years, the doctor mentioned that, you know, this, you're not supposed to take this stuff forever, so you could stop this and do some uh, controlled drinking, <laughs> whatever that is. But I heard the drinking part. You know, that got really loud. <laughs> Pa-ching! And, uh, and that's when I started last nine months of my drinking. It was pretty much a blackout for me. And, again, I didn't know what blackouts was, but it was a black, pretty much a blackout for me, and I know, not, know that now. I'd either wake up and have a drink in my hand and drink it, I wake up and have no drink and wander off to get it. That's all I remember. It's like I would ride along here every, up here every so, every so often. I would be able to take a look what was going on in front of me, and then I would disappear again. You know, that's what was going on my last nine months. It was none of this, you know, let's have a barbecue on the weekend stuff. That was long gone. But I still wasn't blaming the alcohol. It was just I was getting crazier. You know, we're getting closer here. And... uh I remember coming off a blackout one night in the living room. I'm standing there, and I hear myself, you know, I look, I'm like up here looking, and I hear myself laughing hysterically. And then that fast, start ranting and raving and cussing and screaming and yelling, and then back in the blackout again. You know, that's what was going on that, those nine months. And I had a wife and two kids at home, you know. Uh, and, of course, you're in that kind of, when you're in that kind of a condition, you have to drive. So I went out, somewhere in there, went out and... Uh, Thank God the police arrested me for, for drunk driving. Uh, that's when things started to change for me. Uh, I remember coming out of the blackout in the police station. He just opened my eyes, and I heard this voice uh, calmly and quietly say to stop fighting. And it wasn't 
the cop could have been the cop next to me, but that is not how I looked at it. It was no human being saying something, telling, give me a direction or give me an order to do this or don't do this. And I heard this, this statement made to stop fighting. And when I heard that, I realized I had been resisting something. I didn't know what it was, but I agreed that I shouldn't be doing that, resisting that. And uh, I blew on the little breath thingamadoodler, and I felt myself relax in here, and uh, I haven't had a drink since that night. You know, I, I, I didn't know what exactly happened. It took me a long time, sober in AA, to understand what that was all about because I didn't think, you know, I'm never going to drink again. That was just a little experience that happened. I woke up in the morning in the, in the drunk tank, and everything looked different to me. It was kind of like one-dimensional is all I can say. This is just, you know, I think, well, it's just another experience for me, you know, another interesting day in my life because it was kind of an odd thing that happened. And uh, <laughs> I tell you... It's, you know, we're, it's amazing we get here. Just amazing. Uh, anyway, my wife came pick me up and that was pretty amazing too because she didn't say a word. You know, driving home in the car. <laughs> she says God wasn't working in her life yet and he was working pretty good in her life then, you know, if you really stop and think about it. But I didn't know what was going on either. I mean, cause usually I'm all pissed off because they've arrested a law-abiding citizen just for drinking. I mean, what's up with the cops? You know, but I didn't have anything like that to say that morning. You know, something had changed, and I know now what it is. I didn't know it then. Went home and slept for a few days, and then came downstairs and said, you know, uh, that master of uh, piece of understatement, uh, I think I have a problem. I didn't say with drinking. I said I got a problem. And she said, here's the number of this hospital. And so I called this place, and, and it turns out it was, a, it was an alcohol deal, but I, I still was an alcoholic. You know, I went over there, I went in. I just knew I had to do something different. You know, something had to change, and I was fresh out of plans and ideas. And then so I went in this place, and thank God it was based on the program of Alcoholics Anonymous when I got there. First, they checked me into the psychiatric ward to get in touch with my feelings, whatever that is. <laughs> I didn't. I said, okay, I'll go along with that, whatever you guys say. And uh, so I was over in the psychiatric ward for a couple of weeks. I wander around there, and I still have the belt I made. She talks about I still got that because I need to keep that. I got to hang in the closet, you know. <laughs> and it, you know, it kind of as I as I was getting away from from being high, I started. I noticed how agitated I get from time to time, and and then that would cut off a little bit. So I knew something was changing. I didn't really know what, you know. And and I also got very grateful once I got into Alcoholics Anonymous that I didn't have to stay in the psychiatric ward. That I have. My problems related to this disease, all my emotional upset and turmoil is caused by the disease of alcoholism and lack of spiritual growth in my life, and that can all be taken care of by working the 12 steps of this program. Uh, there's a lot of people in the psychiatric ward where I was, they don't have that option. You know, that's not going on for them. They just give them Thorazine, and they have a hell of a time just recycling. You know, I got to notice that. And I became very grateful. Once I learned about my, my disease for myself and how the recovery works for me, I'm real grateful for that. Uh, anyone ever been to a dance, Friday night dance on the psych ward? Have you ever done that one? <laughs> <laughs> that was an experience early in sobriety. I thought, oh, no, I'm going back into that little hole I was in all that time. But uh, there was one of the guys who was going over to the side, and we were kind of hanging out in one end of the, one end of the uh, hospital there. And they said, well, we're going to have a dance tonight. And I thought, what are they talking about? But anyway, so we all went in this room. They are in there. And uh, there's all the poor ladies walking around with the Thorazine and shaking and drinking scalding hot coffee and, you know, bumping into walls and stuff. And then there's a few of us drunks doing, you know, this kind of stuff. And then they opened up the lockup where they keep all the teenage kids that are all jacked up on Riddle and let them out. And then they start playing music. And I tell you, <laughs> I was getting a little nervous. <laughs> oh, this is life, huh? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, I settled down. <laughs> but at first it was just like way strange for me. And uh, anyway, soon after that, this lady came over from, from what they, the other side of the hospital. And also, also they gave me a big book when I was over on the other, in, in the psych ward. And I, for some reason, I wouldn't read it. I wouldn't trust, I don't know where this came from, but I didn't trust any of my thoughts on anything I was going to read that they were going to tell me about for some reason. I didn't think it was right for me to do that on my own. I think maybe that might have saved my butt too. I don't know where that came from, but I wouldn't read the book. 
I just said, okay, that's not time for that yet. Anyway, this lady came over and gave me 20 questions. And uh, she started doing the, you know, oh, have you ever lost time from work on account of drinking? And I'd start to give her the old, well, you see, not really. And I started to give her the BS answer, you know. And she'd look at me, and i look at her, and we started laughing about it. You know, all this BS I was trying to say. And I knew something was different because nothing had ever been funny about my drinking before in my whole life. It was all real serious business, you know. And uh, But I still went through the whole 20 questions trying to give her this BS answer. And she just looked at me and smiled. And, uh, and I knew something was different, and I knew some, this lady was special. It turns out she's a sober member, sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So the following weekend, I went over to that side of the hospital and got introduced to AA and, uh, and you guys, and uh, there's the answer. It hit me smack in the face. You know, I didn't understand it. It scared the hell out of me. But I knew you guys were telling me the truth. Uh, you talked about drinking the way I drank, uh, looking at life the way I looked at life, reacting to things the way I reacted, and drinking the way I drank. And I thought I was the only one doing that on the whole planet because, you know, my family didn't seem to have to do that. A lot of my friends went on about their business, but I couldn't seem to be able to do that, and I thought I was alone until I met you guys. And you took the time to share your life with me, and it let me know that it's okay for me. You know, all that stuff, I'm not alone, and... and uh, And I don't have to go back to doing that if I don't want, because you showed me what you were doing to stay sober. And I watched you real close just to make sure you weren't lying. (laughs) And uh, and you're still not. You know, I need I needed some truth is what I needed. I was way overdue for some truth, and you guys gave me that. And uh, and I grabbed onto it, and uh, I've been working at at trying to to learn about this program since then. You know, learn about myself and uh, do some good things instead of that old behavior. you know, I want to thank you guys for that. You know, if I hadn't been for you people being here, I'd, I'd have just been dead meat. You know, if you hadn't taken the time out of your lives to say hello and hi, how are you doing, and tell tell me about you, you know, the truth about you and what's going on, uh, I'd be long gone. And for someone who didn't think they were alcoholic, uh, you know, it was killing me. And to find that out is is a real relief. And so I just started, you know, they said, you know, start working the steps, you know, whether they, whether they make sense or not. <laughs> and uh, get a sponsor. I got a sponsor right away and uh, started doing this stuff. Excuse me. And, uh, and you know, I remember my wife came when I first got out of the hospital, I, and I, I had never been out in the world without some kind of a shield, you know, the alcohol shield. Driving home, I felt real exposed. Uh, and it's just because I wasn't used to being around life, you know, not being being drunk on something. And I remember I got home and, and I was a little nervous around my family because I hadn't ever been around them sober. You know, I knew I loved them, but I was kind of confused about the whole thing, you know, and, and that upset me. I figured, you know, what's up with that? Uh, but I just did what you told me to do when, when you said when things, when you get some fear in there, say a prayer. Doesn't matter what, say a prayer. I say the surrender prayer over and over again and turn things over to God. I didn't quite understand the whole deal, but I'd just say, okay, God, you know, you take this. And, and I didn't end up blaming them for me feeling so off balance. You know, I started to take responsibility for how I was feeling about myself and my life situation. And you guys taught me that. And um, thank you. Uh, so I started bringing the program home and driving my wife crazy because she was, she told, told you earlier she was still free Al-Anon and, uh, you know, waiting for me to fix her, I guess you'd say, <laughs> she was sharing. But I, and luckily I got involved in a group uh, who was into recovery for the whole family. You know, I used to say, you guys got sick together, why don't you try getting well together? You know, give it a shot. And I used to, you know, come home and, you know, say stuff to her like, oh, let go and let God and things like that. And I didn't think it bothered her, you know, but I've, since we've shared it, and it just used to drive her nuts, you know. But I knew I needed to stay sober, and I knew I was an alcoholic, and I did not want to go back to that hell I'd lived before, you know, if I didn't have to. And uh, so I just started working at this deal as best I could. And... Uh, you know, I had to, uh, they say, you know, oh, don't get in a relationship your first, you know, year of sobriety. Well, I was already married. I had a wife and two children at home. And uh, so we had, I had to start my relationship back over with my wife because I didn't know how to do a relationship at all. And 
and thank God we've been able to do that. You know, it got a lot better once she started going to Al-Anon, which is I was just about two years sober, and that's wonderful for that because we had something in common we could we could bond on, you know, these two programs, and and it saved our butts. You know, I want to thank the program of Alcoholics Anonymous for giving me back my wife. You know, she's a wonderful woman today, and that's because of you guys showing her what to do with her life, and I really appreciate that. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just want to stand there because it feels so good to just be alive and, and be in a good spot on the planet, you know. I just like stand there and just feel it, but I have some more speaking to do. Uh, so we started, you know, doing the deal. Uh, like I say, we went to convention and started doing that stuff and started going to a couple's group and learning how to talk to each other for real and, uh, you know, learn how to trust each other. And, and it was from uh, hooking up with the sponsor and trusting him enough to talk to him about how I felt and trusting him with that information that helped me to start trusting the world around me in general. You know, the steps are, it just amazes me how, how they're put together you know, to heal us whether we want to be healed or not or whether we even think we need to be healed or not. I know if you work the steps, you'll evolve into something better. You know, that's that's just my opinion, but I've watched it happen. It's happened to me, and I've watched it happen to a lot of people. You know, it, it changes you for the, for the better. You know, it's what, what I've always needed. And it's always held, had me, had held me in, in, in good stead, and I, I'm really grateful for that part of it. And... Uh, you know, meeting friends, sober friends. We didn't have a lot of people we hung out with before I got sober, that's for sure. And it was, it's, it's odd getting to be around people. You know, I never did do that either. You know, meeting people, making friends, and doing all just the normal everyday stuff. Uh, you know, I enjoy that. It's very important, very important for me to remember that, uh, that I wasn't able to do that before I got to this program. You know, I've been sober over a little, a little over 31 years now, and it's, it's, it's been really wonderful for me. Uh, like I say, I started taking the program home right away because they said to do that. You know, uh, if you have a summon you're with, you know, why don't you try treating them like you'd like to be treated? You know, people are always complaining, oh, this is all screwed up and that's all screwed up. And, you know, we'd come up with just, well, why don't you treat the person you're complaining about like you'd like to be treated? You know, treat, treat your spouse like a newcomer. You know, start doing things like that. And, and it really takes, uh, puts things in a better focus. You know, and then you get, like I say, get to take responsibility for, for myself and not blame other people about how I'm feeling. You know, there's that one part in the big book where it says it's a spiritual axiom that whenever something is wrong or some, you know, the, there's a wrong feeling going on, it's, there's something the matter with me. You know, if I can remember that, it uh, saves a lot, of, a lot of turmoil because it always comes back to that no matter how far I want to go out of the loop, it comes back to it. I have to work on, on me and my spirituality. And uh, I want to thank you guys for teaching me that one. Hopefully, I'll remember it. <laughs> it's, it's been good. A lot of things have gone on, and you know, since I've been sober, you know, uh, I like to feel good all the time, you know. But that's not reality, you know. But uh, I do feel feel pretty good most of the time. I've always kind of been on like we call a pink cloud because I'm well aware every day of what it was like before I got to this place, and I try to never forget that. Uh, I think that little two-year uh, experiment with the uh, anabuse and no program really drove it home with me, you know, to remember that because that was it was like terrifying, and I and I and I was willing to settle for that because it still was a little bit better than when I was drinking, you know, and I, and I was willing to settle for life like that, and and you guys have showed me that's not necessary. You have a wonderful free life now, uh, but working these steps, and the steps will work you, you know, or work me. You know, uh, doing the four step took me, uh, I wouldn't say you should do this, but it, I wrote for off and on for almost three years. Uh, what I'd do is I'd write a little bit and, uh, nothing else would come out of me. This is just how, how it happened for me. But I knew I wasn't finished. So I'd go to more meetings, listen to more people, talk to people. Uh, go to AA and, 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 you know, ask people what they were doing, listen to people sharing about their four-step and this and that, and then I go back and write some more. And after about three years of that, I knew that I was finished. I remember I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep, went down and wrote the whole sex inventory thing and just did that all with the columns and went through all that. And 
you know, got ready to share that with my sponsor, you know, and that's where that trust comes in, which helped me trust other people. Was I was able to go and give them that in my fifth step, and uh, and the world opened up. I don't know how to say it other than that. I remember we went over everything that I had written down, and when I left his house that night, I walked outside. It was a summer night, and I just remember walking out of the house and looking around, and there was like more room. I don't know how to say it than that. There just there was just more room around me, and. Uh, I want to thank you guys for that experience, you know, and, and I can't deny the existence of God. And uh, the enemy is now the friend, you know, and that's really good because you always used to be, all, you know, me against God and what a waste of energy that was. And all God's ever been doing is just waiting for me to show up. You know, it's it hasn't been such a hard thing, you know, that he's ever put in front of me to do. It's the hard part is getting through all my my negativity and being able to say hello to God and uh, listen to what he has to say rather than my ideas, and and I'm liking that. Um, yeah, things have gone on. I mean, both my parents have passed away since I've been sober, and I had a major surgery, and, you know, I was, you know, went through different things like that, and I have some health problems now, but that's that's not my entire life. You know, that's just things that went on. You know, as life goes, I've also, also had a lot of good stuff. You know, I have some wonderful children and good grandchildren, and I have a really good relationship with my wife and most of the people that I know. You know, uh, I have a really good time around them, and uh, you know, I can't complain about that. But the point is, uh, I was talking a earlier with a, with a friend, and we we're talking about things that go on in life, and how hard, how I would not like to have to go through the hard times without having a program to work. You know, how, how much comfort and strength we get from, from these steps and the people we know in this program that enables us to go through hardships that come along. And how grateful I am that I don't have to do that on my own. I can if I want to, but I choose not to now. You know, I, I talk to you guys right away about what's going on with me. I'm not a secret anymore. And uh, I'm glad for that because that's not my idea. You know, it's all stuff you guys showed me how to do to help me become a, uh, a happy person. You know, and I'm not, uh, I treat my kids well now. I, my dad was always a. Uh, well, I used to work with my dad all the time. He was a full, full-blooded German, real touchy-feely guy. <laughs> but anyway, my son was working with me. We were doing construction work, and one afternoon, I found myself being my dad to my son. And I went, "This is not right, man. I ain't doing this." So I just sat my son down and said, "Hey, I, I have to talk to you for a minute." You know, I said, "I just can't be on you with about this stuff." That's and I don't want us to go on working like this. And so we just started changing stuff and talk to each other. And uh, and you guys taught me how to do that. You know, you guys showed me that that's the way to go. It felt like the right thing to do, and I was able to do that with them. And, and I'm really grateful for that. You know, I've had, I had a really good life, and uh, I'm not such a big negative uh, negative hole anymore. At least I don't think I am. You might want to talk to my wife. <laughs> and... Uh, it's been good. I really enjoyed hearing her. I've never followed her speaking. You know, usually she's, I'll speak and then she'll speak after me. You know, but uh, this was a really good experience. I don't want to go back and correct too many things she said because I still have to live with her. So <laughs> I can tell you it's a hell of a lot more fun now than it used to be. You know, uh, after I was sober a while and she was an Alan for a while. I couldn't say it at first, but. After she was now on for a few years and settled down a little bit, I remember uh, mentioning to her, "See, honey, I really appreciate your effort, all that stuff you said to me, but I was in a blackout. I didn't hear hardly anything. <laughs> but thank you for the effort. You know, I appreciate it. And and, and that was well received, you know. And uh, <laughs> and it, it's good. Uh, I remember I made amends to her. It was kind of like I just kind of said, "Well, sorry, honey." <laughs> Because we both knew what had gone on, and uh, it's been a living amends, you know, since I've gotten sober. You know, I haven't repeated any of those behaviors anymore, and uh, it's a living amends we do on a daily basis. And um, that's really helped us quite a bit, enjoying our lives. And we try and spread it to our kids, like I was saying a little earlier. You know, we like to just uh, spread it around as best we can because it feels right. And because you guys, I'm able to enjoy my grandchild. You know, I watch my granddaughter. She's four years old now, Ava. And I watch her every Tuesday for her parents, and that's really a kick. And if it hadn't been for you people, I would not be doing that. 
I wouldn't even be in her life. I'd never even got to know her. You know, and uh, kids are so right. Kids are so spiritual. It's just, uh, it just blows my mind. You know, I, I love my kids when I was, you know, when I was still drinking, but it's much different when you're sober around children. And, and I see now what, what I, what I missed with my kids. You know, it's just, it's happened. It's okay. What's gone on has gone on. But it's, it's so much better being sober and being awake through all this stuff and uh, being able to feel the, to feel the real stuff and not have the alcoholism pounding on me, taking me away from that. And I'm going to thank you guys for that. I'd like to thank you for inviting me here to share. And, uh, I guess it's time for me to sit down. I want to thank you for my life you've given me because I'm a dead man without you and I'm a very happy man with you. You know, uh, I have some, it's made a lot of good friends in this program, people I see from time to time. It's, you know, I, people I haven't seen in 10 years. It's, just, it's like the friend I haven't seen in 10 years. It's like the friend I just saw yesterday. And it's wonderful. And uh, you guys have given me that, and I'm well aware of that, and I never want to forget that. And uh, I hope you all have as good a time on this thing as I do, and uh, stay close and stay sober, you know, and uh, trust God. I, I found a, I went to a convention. This, there was an archive guy there, and he had a little card, and it was a prescription card from Dr. Bob. And on it, it had three things written, and it was a prescription. It says for alcohol. Al- I think it was either for alcoholics or for alcoholism. Was trust in God, clean house, help others. And then in handwritten above that was always remember this. And then at the bottom of the sign, Dr. Bob. And uh, I think that's a really good thing to do. You know, I like his prescription for living. And uh, thank you guys for sharing your miracle with me. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.